0: May I invite you this morning to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 12. It is once again a wonderful joy that we all have to immerse ourselves in the infinite reservoir of the word of the living God. And this morning we will be looking at verses 33 through 37. And what I'd like to do is get a running start because those of you that were here with us a couple of weeks ago will recall that we were in the passages right before this as we continue to work our way through Matthew verse by verse. So let's begin actually in verse 31, but we're going to focus this morning on verses 33 through 37. The Lord speaking here, Matthew twelve, thirty-one. Therefore, I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven men, but blasphemy against the spirit shall not be forgiven. And whoever shall speak a word against the son of man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever shall speak against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him either in this age or in the age to come. Now, the verses that we'll focus on this morning, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak what is good for the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart? The good man out of his good treasure brings forth what is good. And the evil man out of his evil treasure brings forth what is evil. And I say to you that every careless word that men shall speak, they shall render account for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you shall be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. There is perhaps no better way of determining a man's character than by examining his speech. For indeed, speech is the mirror of the heart. You know, it only takes a few conversations with an individual before you can determine what's in the reservoir of a man's heart. Words spoken in private, or even when one is under great stress, are particularly revealing. But even in casual conversation, when we're just chatting with people, it doesn't take us long to realize that certain topics. And certain tones continue to emerge. Some people are just whiny when they talk. Other people are angry. Other people are controlling, manipulative. Some are kind and uplifting. And on it goes. But dear friends, every word flows from a fountain. Some of which are pure. Many of which are not. In today's text, Jesus once again exposes the wickedness of The Pharisees, their hypocrisy, as well as the scribes and others of the religious elite that were with them, indicting them on the basis of irrefutable evidence as to what's in their heart, namely their speech. So as we examine the text this morning and other related passages, we're going to learn much about the attitudes of the heart and how God judges our heart on the basis of the words that flow from it. Now, let me remind you of the context. Jesus has just publicly and obviously miraculously healed a demon possessed man, a man that was considered unclean, a man that was horrifying to the people. Whenever he came around, people would back off and and look in absolute horror at him. A man that in this case was both blind and dumb, unable to speak. And now the people are awestruck because suddenly this man can see and he can speak. And certainly the Pharisees and the scribes are dogging him, watching what's going on, trying to catch Jesus in some kind of a mistake. And the Pharisees are desperate now to maintain control of the masses who are beginning to lean, kind of like the poles that we see on television. The poles are beginning to lean a little bit towards Jesus, the son of man. And all the Pharisees are thinking, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? We're going to lose control of these people. You will recall in verse 23 of chapter 12, they were saying, this man cannot be the son of David, can he? And they had to quickly come up with a spin to get them to move back to their side. And the spin was in verse 24. No, 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 no. This man casts out demons only by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. So, in other words, don't be too quick to think that this is the Messiah because this man is really of the devil. Well, Jesus then exposes the absurdity of their accusation and the self-exalting, exaltive motive behind it. And then he pronounces judgment upon them, claiming that they have committed a sin that cannot be forgiven. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. That's why he said in verse 31, blasphemy against the spirit shall not be forgiven. In other words, as you will recall, these people consciously, deliberately rejected Christ, having full knowledge of who he is with complete, clear understanding of his deity, with undeniable and irrefutable evidence of his glorious person and all that he had been doing. They were eyewitnesses to his deity. And they rejected him. This is unforgivable. This is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Worse yet, they attributed the works of Jesus, the works of the Holy Spirit that empowered the Son of Man to Satan. And such blasphemy is irremediable. It's unforgivable. This is a wickedness that is beyond forgiveness. Wickedness of a calloused heart that will cut people off eternally from the mercy of God. And how sad that we continue to see these very types of things occurring in people today. Now, Jesus continues his case against them, once offering himself as their savior. Now he's going to take on the role of their judge. And we see the drama begin to unfold here as if it were in a courtroom. And with the omniscient and perfectly just Messiah King, Now, making his case against them, we're going to see that he is going to render a verdict of guilt. And I've divided this text into four different stages to help you understand it. If you can remember four words that we will add a little bit of meat to remember the first stage, we're going to understand the principle of logic that Jesus gives. And then we're going to see his divine indictment. And then thirdly, we're going to see the evidence of guilt And then, fourthly, the basis of sentencing, logic, indictment, evidence and sentencing. First of all, notice the principle of logic the Savior gives in verse 33, and he does so in the form of a parable as he speaks to these religious hypocrites. In verse 33, he says to them, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruits. You see, healthy trees do not produce sickly fruit. And so what Jesus is saying is, people, make up your minds. If, if what I have done by delivering this man from demons, giving him sight and giving him speech, if that is a bad thing, then indeed I must be from Satan. But on the other hand, if it is a good thing, I must be from God. Because certainly God would never empower someone to do evil. He's saying, examine my life and examine my ministry. I have fed the hungry. I have healed the sick. I have cast out demons. I have raised the dead. Now, if that is evil, then indeed I am evil. You will recall earlier in Matthew 7, in verse 15 and following, Jesus warns the people where he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. You will recall that means they come dressed like and acting like a pastor. But they're not beware of these people. Inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Therefore, he goes on to say, by their fruits, you will know them. So, again, Jesus sets forth this most basic principle of logic to expose the absurdity of their accusation against him, as well as exposing the self-serving wickedness of their hearts. Next, he points his omniscient and perfectly just finger in the faces of the Pharisees and excoriates the hypocrites with divine judgment. Notice in verse thirty four. He says, you brood of vipers. You notice the Lord doesn't know anything about tolerance. He doesn't know anything about being seeker sensitive. He tells it like it is because people need to know what it is. You brood of vipers. In other words, you venomous snakes that kill unsuspecting victims with the poison of your traditions and your hypocritical legalism, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? In other words, your venomous words, your, your blasphemous words against the Holy Spirit have proven who and what you are. So he's saying, you, you, you den of snakes, being deadly and deceptive, concealing yourselves with the camouflage of religiosity and spirituality, Blending in with the religious establishment, with the religious landscape in such a way as to remain undetected by careless and innocent worshipers. Then viciously striking them with your deadly fangs of demonic lies, you murderous vipers, he's saying, filled with hatred and pride and immorality and greed slithering around after me and after my children following me just like your father, the devil, followed you or or followed my children in the Garden of Eden, watching and waiting for just the right opportunity to strike out at someone and then for you to have the audacity to accuse me, the son of the living God, to be one from the devil when, in fact, you know full well who I am. You brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak what is good? Can you imagine, dear friends, standing before almighty God in this particular scene, seeing his nostrils flare with rage and having his holy and penetrating eyes look into your eyes, into the very laser, the laser like eyes looking into your very soul And with perfect insight, exposing what you absolutely know to be true. What an unspeakable horror. And yet many, perhaps some of you, will someday experience the same fierce condemnation when you stand before Jesus as your judge, if you have not at first made him your Savior. After setting forth the axiom, the logic uh, and the principle of his case, that being the source of good and bad being determined by its fruit and then denouncing them with his fierce indictment. Notice thirdly what he does. He presents the evidence of the guilt. At The end of verse 34, he says, for the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. In other words, your words have betrayed you because words are a mirror of the heart. The Pharisees were like the man described in Proverbs 6, verse 12 through 14, where we read a worthless person, a wicked man, is the one who walks with a false mouth, who winks with his eyes, who signal with his feet, who points with his fingers, who with perversity in his heart devises evil continually, who spreads strife. We've all known people like this. We've even seen it in churches people that devise evil continually, sowing seeds of discord and strife. All of that comes from a perverse heart. By the way, that text goes on to describe what else comes from such a heart. In Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19, we read, there are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven, which are an abomination to him. And here they are. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. Dear friends, we should hate those things every bit as much as the Lord hates them. And they all come from the heart. Now, please understand, biblically, the heart is the inner man. It is the seat of our mental life. It is the reservoir in which we would find all of our thoughts and imaginations, our perspectives and out of the heart will flow our will and our choices, our desires, our emotions and certainly our words. You see, our perspective, our on life, our worldview, our personalities, our character, our inner interpersonal style of relating, all of it is rooted in the heart. And a person cannot change these things. A person cannot change who he is or what he is or how he feels without a change of heart, which is a work of the Holy Spirit. People need to have a new heart, a transformed heart, a regenerated heart, a renewed heart and so on. Change doesn't occur by talking with Dr. Phil. I'm sorry. Change does not occur through group therapy. It occurs through the radical transforming power of the spirit of God as he works within a person's heart through the power of the word of God. Jesus said in Matthew 15, beginning in verse 18, the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and those defile the man for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts. False witness, slanders. And you see, folks, these were precisely the things that were spewing forth from the mouths of the Pharisees. So Jesus says the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. Literally, your words will be an overflow from what's in your heart. And then he elaborates on this reality in verse thirty five. He says the good man out of his good treasure brings forth what is good and the evil man out of his evil treasure brings forth what is evil. What does he mean, good treasure? Well, the word treasure in the original language thesaurus it means storehouse or treasury. We get our English word thesaurus from that. Interestingly enough, which is a repository or a treasury of words of, of synonyms and antonyms. And many of you have one of those on your shelf, a thesaurus. But here, what he's referring to is the heart being a repository of all of our attitudes and our perspectives, our imaginations, all of our biases, all of our aspirations, our loyalties, our idolatries. Therefore, our speech will mirror what's in our heart. I love the old Puritans, and one of my favorites is John Trapp. And he said in this regard, and I quote back in the 1600s. He said, the bell is known of what metal by the clapper. What is in the well will be in the bucket. What in the warehouse will be in the shop. So what is in the heart will be in the mouth. Now, friends, may I ask you, since the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. What is it that fills your heart? All you need to do is examine your speech. If your speech is kind, then there will be kindness in the heart. If your speech is is humble, there will be humility in the heart. If it is vulgar, there will be vulgarity in the heart and on it goes. Now, allow me to digress for a moment with some very practical considerations for you. In Proverbs chapter four and verse twenty three, we are told watch over your heart with all diligence For from it flow the springs of life, put away from you a deceitful mouth and put devious lips far from you. Well, how can we very practically watch over our heart with all diligence so that it will overflow with speech that is honoring and pleasing to the Lord? Let me give you one answer, and there are so many other things that can be said, but let's just leave it at this for right now. Dear friends, keep the reservoir of your heart filled with truth. You see, if you pollute the reservoir of your heart with foolishness, with pornography, with vulgarity, with unbiblical philosophies, false teaching, guess what's going to flow from your mouth? Well, this is precisely what the writer of Proverbs is telling us, and all through the Scripture we see this. If I can remind you even of another passage that comes to my mind, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, there the apostle Paul is warning believers, saying to them, "Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind." And the word "conformed" has the idea of of not allowing yourself to wear a mask, where who you are on the inside is concealed by this masquerade. And because it's in the passive voice and the grammar, there's an indication there that it is the world that will cause you to wear this mask without you realizing it. So he's saying, don't allow the world, in this case, referring to the philosophies of the day, whatever it might be. And certainly today it's political correctness and tolerance and, and all of these other silly things that we have. Don't allow the philosophies of the world in which you live This is a way you could translate this to somehow squeeze you into its mold, to form you into its likeness without you even realizing it so that you begin to look like something on the outside that's inconsistent with who you are on the inside, namely a person who is clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Don't let that happen to you, Christian. But on the other hand, he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what the will of god is that which is good and acceptable and perfect what does it mean to be transformed by the renewing of your mind the word transformed is metamorpho we get our word metamorphosis from that and again it's in the passive voice which indicates that you are not the one actually doing it it's happening to you how is it happening to you it's the renewing of your mind as you renew your mind in other words as you become more like minded with christ as the spirit of god communicates truth into your heart, pours the scripture through you. You little by little become more conformed into the image of Christ without even realizing it. And there is a metamorphosis that occurs where the outside begins to manifest who you truly are on the inside, namely a person clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And people begin to actually see Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so if you want to know how to watch over your heart with all diligence, renew your mind constantly and allow this metamorphosis to occur. Fill your minds, dear friends, with the truth of divine revelation. Immerse yourself daily in scripture and on and on it goes. You see, a heart filled with God's truth will overflow with integrity. If you're truthful on the inside, you're going to be truthful on the outside. And along with that, you will have divine power that flows through you and praise. I'm reminded of what Paul told Titus in two, verse seven, where he says, in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility. So we have to have a full heart, a full heart of truth. You know, it's so sad. I listen to many Christians talk and many times I'm grieved at what I hear. And frankly, what I hear are words that are coming from an empty heart. There's no depth in their speech. There's no reflection of an intimate love and knowledge of God. There there seems to be no grasp of of, of the glorious truths that are in Scripture. Just strings of worn out old Christian cliches. You hear this many times in people's prayers. The same old stuff. No real grasp of the profound realities revealed in the infallible record. You can bring up some aspect of theology with many Christians or even ask them to talk about their walk with Christ and you find that they run out of material very quickly. Folks, that not that ought not to be. So often Christian speech is boring, superficial, very often just... Frivolous dribble. On the other hand, many people can talk for hours about their hobbies, about sports, about politics. I know men that worship cars. I know men that worship hunting and fishing. They can talk endlessly about those things. About sports. I know women that can talk endlessly about sitcoms and about the latest movies. Folks, these things are matters that are eternally insignificant. We need to be filling our hearts with things that are true so that what will flow from our hearts will be things that are true. This is what it means to guard your heart with all diligence. Very often in counseling, I will begin by saying, you know, let's just set your problem aside for a moment. What I'd like to do is just just get a little bit better understanding of of, of your relationship with Christ and your understanding of, of Scripture and your love for the Lord and so on. So tell me about your relationship with Christ. And friends, very often the response sounds much more like a contrived description of some distant relative they hardly know. And trying to be kind, I might go on from there and many times I will say, you know, I, I'm curious, can you list for me just a few attributes of God and and what they mean to you. And very often after they talk about God is love, they begin to squirm and fidget as if they're in unknown territory. And if you move a little bit deeper and you say, describe some of the promises that are yours because you are united to Christ in faith. All of a sudden they begin to have a look like they're having a gallbladder attack. And then if you go beyond that and say, Friend, tell me the last time when God revealed some truth to you that stirred your heart to contrition and to praise and they're speechless. There's something wrong with that. And I fear that the main source of this problem is in the pulpits of our churches. But friends, there's only so much a pastor can do. You've got to learn to fill your heart with truth. May I ask you, when was the last time When the Holy Spirit spoke to you through some song or some passage of scripture and moved you to tears and drove you to your knees. And when you stood up, there was a a new song in your heart and you couldn't wait to share it with someone else. You see, that's the stuff of a full heart. And it's sad. So many folks have empty hearts. And yet Jesus says the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. How sad to see Christians live lives Of wasted opportunity. I've been to funerals where Christians have died and you begin to ask the family, help me know what to say in a eulogy that would demonstrate their love for Christ. And it's sad. So often people really can't think of anything. You see, there's something terribly wrong with that. So many Christians live lives that no one else wants to imitate. Ask yourself, would anybody want to be like you? If not, why not? If the answer is, well, not really, it's because your heart is empty. Needs to be filled up with truth. So many Christians talk. No one really cares to listen because they don't have anything to say. Because the reservoir is empty. No zeal for God, no no real contrition, no real wisdom, no spiritual power. There's no fire in the furnace because there's an empty heart. As a result, many Christians walk around sullen, morose, bitter, complaining, criticizing, bored, apathetic, prone to anger, prone to depression, worrying all the time about something, relationships that don't work. Beloved, an empty heart is a feeble heart. And the speech that flows from it is mere hot air that just quickly dissipates into the atmosphere of irrelevance. This is not the way we need to be as believers. By the way, this is reflected in the frivolous dribble that's being published by most Christian publishers. Cotton candy theology and psychobabble conceived by empty hearts and marketed to the same. I've got some friends that are publishing executives, and they've told me that books containing great and profound theology simply do not sell. And that Christian publishing caters primarily to theologically illiterate and apathetic people. By the way, primarily women in their 30s to 40s. You see, empty hearts are reflected in what we have in Christian literature today. Sometimes you may get frustrated with me because so often I quote people back in the 1700s and 1600s because so much of what's being written today is frivolous dribble. Empty hearts are also reflected in the glib, superficial lyrics of most contemporary Christian music. Beloved, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life and child of God. May I remind you just again, fill your heart with truth. On a daily basis, be like the musicians in Psalm 87, who praised God as their source of spiritual blessing that that, that flowed from the temple in Jerusalem. And they said, all my springs are in you. Be like the blessed man described in Psalm 1, whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Is that what your delight is? His delight is in the law of the Lord in the word of God. And in his law, he meditates day and night. And here's what's going to happen. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. Are you not prospering in life? You know why? You've got your tree planted at the wrong place. Again, in Psalm 37, beginning in verse 30, we read the mouth of the righteous utters wisdom And his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. That's why that occurs. The law of God is in his heart. So, friends, when our hearts are filled up with with the glories of God, with the magnificent promises of God, when they're right there in our heart and they're always wanting to overflow and it's always on the tip of our tongue, then the spirit of God empowers us to transcend the difficulties of life in our earthly existence And our mouths will burst forth with doxologies of praise. I think of Peter, knowing that he was going to be crucified. In 1 Peter 1, you remember that whole section in verses about 3 through 9. He extols the greatness of God and talks about the living hope that we have in Jesus and, and, and the inheritance that we have that is protected by God. And he says, in this you greatly rejoice. And he goes on to say that you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Now, there's a man with a full heart, knowing that he's going to be crucified for the sake of Christ. You see, folks, your mouths will never burst forth with doxologies of legitimate praise unless your heart is full. So Jesus, in verse thirty five, and this would be a paraphrase, is saying Again, good's going to flow from the good treasure, and evil is going to flow from the repository of the heart. He has given us the logic, the scathing indictment, and the evidence of their guilt. And this moves us to the fourth and final point, and that is all of this becomes the basis for divine sentencing. Notice in verses 36 and 37, he says, "And I say to you that every careless word that men shall speak, they shall render account for it in the day of judgment." For by your words, you shall be justified and by your words, you shall be condemned. You see, friends, every word that came out of the mouths of the Pharisees and the scribes and any religious hypocrite since then. Was poisoned in the polluted reservoir from which it came, it was poison. Therefore, their words became the basis for the divine sentencing and they must have given an account for them. You see, the words that. Come from a renewed heart, a transformed heart, a justified heart will validate the genuineness of your faith. If you're truly in Christ, but not so for those who reject Christ, their words are notice what the text says, careless and the original language. That word means useless. Good for nothing. Pointless, worthless words of the unregenerate that bear no fruit For the glory of God. That's what that refers to. I want you to hear this. And this is one of the most politically and religiously incorrect statements that I could possibly make in our day. Be that as it may, it is the truth. There is nothing that people without Christ that are not united to Christ in faith. There is absolutely nothing that the unsaved can do or say that pleases God. Nothing. Because all of it flows from an evil heart. Even words of love and kindness and worthless are are worthless to God. They're worthless spiritually because they are motivated by a heart that is evil, not one that longs to give God glory. Their heart is worthless, so their words are worthless. In fact, in Romans eight and verse nine, we read those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Very simple. May I remind you, dear friends, of what the Bible says about people without Christ. And by the way, I say this not as a mockery, but as a testimony of the grace of God, because apart from his work, I would be the same way. But the unrenewed heart biblically is hateful to God. Full of evil, desperately wicked, far from God, impenitent, unbelieving, deceitful, deceived, prone to division, hard, haughty, influenced by the devil, carnal, covetous, despiteful, foolish, idolatrous, mad, mischievous, proud, rebellious, perverse, stubborn, stony, elated by sensual indulgence. It devises violence and it is often judicially insensitive. But, dear friends, when we come to Christ, the word of God says that we receive a new heart, a transformed heart. We receive the divine nature of Christ. By the way, we receive that eternally. Okay, the Bible knows nothing of us having a renewed heart. And then all of a sudden we decide we don't want that. And so now we revert revert back to an unrenewed heart. The Bible knows nothing of being justified and then being unjustified. Of having the divine nature of Christ and then no longer having the divine nature of Christ. Of being transformed and, nah, I don't want that, so I'm going to be untransformed. That, 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 the Bible knows nothing of that. So, this glorious gift of a transformed heart is something that is eternally secure, kept by the power of God forever. But you know. Even as Christians, we must guard our hearts against careless words. In fact, the psalmist says in Psalm 141, three set a guard. O Lord, over my mouth, keep watch over the door of my lips. And I love that passage in James chapter three, the whole long section there talking about the tongue. But in verses five and six, we read the tongue is a little member And boasts great things see how great a forest, a little fire kindles and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body. Let me digress it one more time, because I want you to hear some things that I believe the Bible says that will help us control our tongues and guard our hearts. So that our speech is not careless as Christians. There are six sentinels that you need to place around your, your heart. Let me give them to you very briefly. And maybe sometime I'll expand upon these six sentinels, six guards that we need to have around our hearts so that our speech is honoring to the Lord. First of all, our speech should be limited. Number one, folks, we need to speak less and listen more. It's so frustrating to be around a ratchet jaw, isn't it? Somebody that just jabber, 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 just talks all the time. Proverbs 10, verse 19 says, when there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. Friends, I think we all tend to talk too much. I'm sure I'm guilty more than any of you. But I need to constantly remind myself and I would remind you, never assume that people Really want to hear all of your opinions and all of your tales. Don't assume that people love to hear you dominate conversations and talk about yourselves. Learn to limit your speech. It's easy to feel this urge to speak up on everything. You've heard me say it before. I'll say it again. This is not in the Bible, but the principle is there. Don't throw your dog in every fight. Save him for the big ones. Limit your speech. Secondly, we need to be discerning. Our speech needs to be discerning. Too often we are ready, fire, aim type of people. The Proverbs 15, verse 23 says, a man has joy in an apt answer. In other words, an appropriate answer. And how delightful is a timely word. And in verse 28, it goes on to say, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. In other words, thinks before it speaks. But the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. To say it a little bit differently, friends, if you have nothing wise to contribute on an issue, remain silent. There's nothing wrong with that. I have to laugh. I, if you want to hear the opposite of discerning speech, go to to a town hall meeting sometimes. Or, or even a sometimes a church business meeting. And, you know, you'll hear some poor soul, you know, oh, I'll guarantee you one thing. And now we're all going to have to sit there and, and we're going to have to listen to this dear person we're gonna we're gonna to have to endure some half baked sermonette, typically the babbling of a fool. Proverbs ten in verse thirty one says the mouth of the righteous flows with wisdom, and in verse thirty two it goes on to say the lips of the righteous bring forth what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverted. Well, not only should our speech be limited and discerning, but a thirdly edifying. The Bible tells us. Edify, in other words, we need to be speaking words that build other people up, that bless them. Proverbs 18 and verse four. The words of a man's mouth are deep water. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. In other words, our speech needs to be to people like fresh, cool water would be to a person who is parched with thirst. It's life giving. Is your speech life giving? That sentinel needs to be on your heart. In Ephesians 429, the Apostle Paul tells us, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. Now, friends, even when our speech is corrective, and sometimes it needs to be, even with our children, it should be instructive, it should be encouraging, it should be uplifting, it can be edifying. By the way, the Bible Frequently talks about two kinds of people to avoid, and you really will hear this in their speech. And this is a paraphrase phrase, but avoid number one, those types of people that are that, that are the snarling, explosive hotheads. And then secondly, avoid critical, manipulative, control freak type of people. Boy, if you're around those types of folks, run for your life. Yet what a joy it is to be around people Whose speech ministers to you, they, they, they build you up versus tearing you down. Fourthly, your speech needs to be purifying. Colossians 4, 6 says, let your speech always be with grace. In other words, um, your, your speech needs to be spiritually fitting, wholesome, uh, purposeful. That's the idea. Gentle, gracious, kind, thoughtful and so on. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned as it were with Salt. So that you may know how you should respond to each person. Now, think of this salt, not only flavors, but what else does it do? It prevents corruption. Absolutely. It is a purifying agent. There is nothing worse, dear friends, than listening to some Bulgarian curse and swear. By the way, many times that's also a sign of a limited vocabulary. But be that as it may, it is a sickening thing. And it is even worse if it's a christian you see if you fill your heart let me get real practical with you if you fill your heart with saturday night life if you fill your heart with mtv and all of this other garbage that's out there if you fill your heart with all of the vulgar music that is typically on the radios with sitcoms reality shows and so on you're going to pollute your heart, and your speech is going to be polluted. But our speech needs to be pure, and you won't speak purely unless your heart is pure. Fifthly, it needs to be kind. Proverbs 15:1, "A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger." Now compare this with Proverbs 18:6, where we read, "A fool's lips bring strife, and his mouth calls for blows." Don't you hate that when somebody talks to you and you just want to smack them in the mouth? By the way, I'm not recommending you do that. But sometimes that's what happens with people who do not have a kind heart. You see, there is no place in Christianity for a loud mouth or some verbal bully. There's no place for that. By the way, it's very common in marriages and it grieves my heart. It grieves my heart when I hear that there are some husbands that treat their wives this way and some wives that treat their husbands this way. By the way, some of the worst offenders that I found in the church are irate mothers who go into the nursery or into some child care situation. And little Johnny or little Mary has not received the attention that they have wanted. So mommy pops her cork. You see, there's no place for this kind of of treatment. Our speech needs to be kind. Let your speech be gentle, winsome and loving. Sixth and finally, our speech needs to be truthful Psalm 34, verse 13, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Proverbs 10:18: he who conceals hatred has lying lips and he who spreads slander is a fool. This, of course, is a prohibition against those who hide their animosity towards another person with deceit. And then later on, they vent their hatred through slanderous lies. Folks, be honest with what you say. And if you heard something and you don't know for sure if it's true, don't talk about it. Matter of fact, when people say, did you hear about such and such? First thing I want to say to them, you have probably heard me say this to you. Excuse me. Can I quote you as the source? Many times that'll stop gossip. Friends, we got to be we got to be wise. Post these six sentinels around the gates of your heart and your speech will be pleasing to the Lord and it will result in great blessing in your life. Guard what you put in it and you will be blessed with what. Will flow from it. Charles Spurgeon said it so well. And I quote, Thy Master gave himself wholly for thee. Give thyself unreservedly to him. Keep not back part of the price. Make a full surrender of every motion of thy heart. Labor to have but one object and one aim. And for this purpose, give God the keeping of thine heart. Cry out for more of the divine influences of the Holy Spirit. That so when thy soul is preserved and protected by him, it may be directed into one channel and one only that thy life might run deep and pure and clear and peaceful. It's only banks being God's will, its only channel, the love of Christ and the desire to please him. So, friends, may I encourage you this morning to examine your speech, for indeed it mirrors your heart. And know full well that if you have no real love for Christ, like the Pharisees, you will give an account for your words someday. And they will be used as evidence against you in the day of judgment. And Christian, now hear this, those of you that know and love Christ, certainly while the blood of Christ covers our careless words, allowing us to stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, as Jude has told us. Nevertheless, if our speech is not limited, discerning, edifying, purifying, kind and truthful, God will discipline us because he loves us. How sad to think that many Christians speak careless words and therefore have grieved the Holy Spirit that resides within them, placing them in the pathway of divine chastening, forfeiting blessing in their life as well as causing them to lose eternal reward. I close with this thought. Lord, place around my wayward heart strong sentinels of grace. Guard those doors that fly apart when pride would spout some phrase. Season my speech with discerning salt. Keep watch my tongue restrain lest some careless word or thought dishonor your holy name let's pray together father it's with great joy we receive your words today yet we confess that the sting of the lash of your rebuke falls on all of our backs and so Lord I pray that you would cause us all to be brutally honest with our with our hearts and with our speech and Lord where we need to make amends where we need to repent Give us the boldness and the wisdom to do so. And Lord, for that person that sits in this room or is hearing my voice somewhere around the world. Lord, I pray if they do not know you as Christ. Oh, Lord, how I pray that your spirit would bring such overwhelming conviction to their heart. That they will have no rest on their pillow until they run to the foot of the cross, confessing their sins and allowing you to lavish upon them the affections of your mercy and your grace we pray this for Jesus sake amen we pray you've been edified by this presentation you've been listening to pastor bible teacher and author david harrell for more information or to order additional tapes or cd's of pastor harrell's messages please visit cvctn.org or call 615 615- 746-0113.